back to another edition of the Ion Security Podcast. My name is Luke McNamara, a principal analyst here at Mandiant Threat Intelligence. Joining me today to discuss managing email phishing is John Attrache, principal consultant at Mandiant Consulting. Good morning, John. Good morning, Luke. How are you? Doing well. So uh, interesting time that we're living in, one where uh, obviously there's a lot of concern around the potential cyber implications of COVID-19. One of the questions I know that we've been getting a lot from customers is around spear phishing and email phishing in, in general, and how we've seen attackers leverage that in themes or as part of their campaigns. What exactly have we been seeing in this space? Yeah, absolutely. As we've seen time and time again, um, threat actors are commonly adopting their, their lures to, to be consistent with uh, you know, major regional and global events, whether it's a natural disaster, you know, a, a big hurricane or holidays or end of year events, uh, and even uh, major sporting events like the Olympics, right? Uh, you know, threat actors are going to leverage that for their advantage to try to increase the likelihood that a target is going to click on that link. And the same rings true for COVID-19 pandemic. So we're seeing COVID-19 being used quite heavily nowadays, especially over the past month. We're seeing it threat actors merging, you know, some of the common lures that they've historically used, whether it's, you know, keywords like invoices or package delivery and merging that with COVID-19. Or even in some cases, we're actually seeing them consistently modify their phishing campaigns based off of the major developments that are happening uh, around the globe, essentially. So whether it's, you know, discussions around a potential vaccine or the stimulus bill in the United States, you know, their threat actors are modifying their subject lines and their bodies within the email uh, to be relevant to the regions that they're targeting as well. Uh, so a lot of these emails, uh, they, they often contain either a malicious attachment or in some cases a malicious URL. Uh, so user clicks on the URL, takes them to a, a phishing page, and eventually that user downloads some sort of malicious payload. And we're seeing a variety of types of, of payloads being used by, by threat actors, right? Whether it's a backdoor or a banking trojan, so we're seeing a, a number of different types of, of payloads. But overall, uh, I would say that you know we're not seeing anything super unique or highly sophisticated uh, from a tactics perspective, right? So all the, the, the major topics that we talk about around phishing and how to protect against phishing really rings you know, true around the COVID-19 side of things as well. Uh, one important interesting fact actually is, you know, although we do expect uh, financially motivated threat actors to continually leverage COVID-19 for their phishing campaigns, Really, we've only seen about a 2% of the overall malicious email detections in March alone leveraging the COVID-19 keyword uh, in, their, in their campaigns. Yeah, I think that last point is very well and important uh, for organizations to, to keep in mind. But nevertheless, I mean, a lot of organizations are kind of aware of how this is being utilized and, and taking steps to maybe in some cases reevaluate or look at their mitigations for email phishing. So for organizations that are in that process, what are some immediate steps that they can take to mitigate some of these uh, spear phishing campaigns? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so first and foremost, uh, security awareness is absolutely paramount. Ultimately, your users are the weakest link and motivated threat actors will find a way around some of your technical controls, regardless of what you put in place, right? Uh, so it's extremely important to uh, regularly educate your users on remaining vigilant and equally as important reporting all suspicious mail that they they receive, right? Things that make it through your email security gateway. And that second piece is really important because you need visibility as a security team within an organization into who's targeting you, uh, what kind of phishing campaigns are targeting users. And really, you need to be able to fully scope uh, that phishing campaign as well. You know, who else received that email? Did anyone else click on it, right? 
So it's very important that users are not only remaining vigilant and, and not clicking on malicious emails or links rather and attachments, but also equally reporting those to your security team as well. And one of the ways that you can make that really easy on your users is you know, implementing some sort of a phishing reporting tool. A lot of popular email clients now have an add-on that allows you to push out something like a, a phishing reporting capability, right? Uh, where all the user has to do is click on a button and then the phishing email is sent as an attachment to the security team for further investigation. And that retains the email header, which is key for the investigation as well. And then something that we're seeing a lot of organizations adopt, and we absolutely highly recommend, is you know implementing an external email warning banner at the top of every email that's coming inbound from external. Right. And usually what we see is, you know, this, this email warning banner uh, should say something around the lines of, you know, be very cautious with this email. It came from an external source. You know, don't click on any attachments or links unless you absolutely trust the sender and or you're expecting this email from this particular sender as well. Right. And that's that's actually been pretty effective for a number of organizations in reducing the, the likelihood of the success rate uh, of phishing campaigns. So the, the user awareness and, and education piece of this is certainly key. Invariably, when this topic comes up, the, the question always gets asked around multi-factor authentication and how that plays into this. So how should organizations be thinking about MFA? There's obviously some nuances in, in, in how they may want to employ that and make sure that it's effectively being used. So how should they think about that? Yeah, absolutely. MFA is you know, a, a very you know, important topic. Uh, and we talk about this all the time during our engagements. You know, MFA is a highly effective control for reducing the effectiveness uh, of credential theft related phishing attacks and broader account compromises. So if an attacker steals your credentials through like a spear phishing campaign, for example, or even you know, as a result of a user using the same password on multiple services and maybe another service gets popped, you want to make sure that you're making it as difficult as, as possible for the attacker to compromise that account, even if they had the credentials, right? And MFA is a really, really solid solution to, to mitigating that risk. Although there are still some ways around it, of course, right? But ultimately, uh, you know, when you implement MFA for your users, and especially now as more and more organizations are moving their email servers to the cloud, like Microsoft Office 365 or G Suite, you know, this, this increases the, the likelihood that an attacker is going to target these emails as now they can access them externally, right? So enforcing MFA for all your users is, is absolutely vital, at least for authenticating externally to the box is key. But in some cases, uh, you know, that may be challenging to implement as well. But at the very least, having MFA for all of your privileged users and your VIP users that have access to sensitive data like your executives, you know, is really important to have in place. And the, the other piece really is you want to make sure whatever MFA solution you implement, um, it's consistent across the board, right? If your users have to leverage, you know, five different types of uh, MFA authenticator applications to access your various applications, there's going to be a lot of pushback around an, an adoption rate around MFA. So using a single and proven solution is really important, right? And of course, moving away from, you know, the weaker MFA solutions like SMS, moving towards something towards like an authentication app, for example. And then finally, the last point, which is also important, is for organizations who are moving to the cloud, like Microsoft Office 365, um, you want to make sure that you're disabling legacy authentication and only enforcing modern authentication where possible. And the reason for this is even though you have MFA implemented in some circumstances, an attacker can leverage a legacy application that doesn't support modern auth. And as a result, they would log in through legacy authentication and effectively bypass the MFA enforcement that you have in place. So it's very important to keep that, that in mind as well. Now, going back to something you mentioned at the beginning around how 
uh, what we're seeing from the threat actors that we've been tracking and following and, and kind of how they've attached on to this topic of COVID-19. Certainly, that's to cannot be expected of in terms of the utilization of TTPs that they've done in the past, leveraging something that's a very popular topic. In the theme and vein of more of the same, one of the other things that we've continued to see is email spoofing, where threat actors are disguising their emails as originating from a legitimate source, trying to increase the likelihood that the target you know, falls victim, clicks on that link, opens that attachment. We're thinking about controls that organizations can implement to mitigate this particular risk or some things that they should be thinking about? Yeah, for sure. Spoof protection, there are three core features that you want to have in place. Your mail-enabled domains. Uh, so the first one is a sender policy framework or SPF. And this is just a text record that's published uh, in DNS. And its main function is to uh, essentially advertise to the world who is allowed to send mail on your domain's behalf. Uh, and most organizations uh, we find do have this implemented. Unfortunately, we also do find that these organizations usually have the policy configured as a soft fail, which really isn't an effective security control. So the first piece there is to make sure you have SPF text records configured for your mail-enabled domains, and then also to have a, a hard fail policy in place to make sure that if someone is able to spoof your email, they're being tr treated as junk or getting blocked or rejected. Uh, and the second control is called DKIM or Domain Keys Identified Mail. And this is just an authentication system that's based off of asymmetric a cryptographic key pair. So a private key, which you own, and a public key, which is published uh, to the public. So what happens here is when mail is sent outbound from your domain, you have DKIM configured, um, your mail is digitally signed with the private key that you have access to and no one else has access to it. And the public key is published via a DNS CNAME record so that the recipient servers can actually validate the signature and confirm the source of the sender. Uh, this is really, really key and will definitely decrease the likelihood of a successful spoofing campaign. Uh, and, and the third piece to really make this all uh, bulletproof is implementing something called DMARC. And that's a domain-based message authentication reporting conformance. And DMARC is, uh, again, a DNS record that tells uh, recipient servers how to treat unauthenticated messages that come from your domain based on some sort of policy, whether it's you know none, quarantine, or reject. Now, for the organizations that we have seen implement DMARC, in many cases, we see them implement it, uh, the policy as none, uh, which again is really just reporting mode. Um, it's not really doing anything to, to block these potentially spoofed emails. Uh, so the recommendation there is to make sure you have it in, in reject policy or at least quarantine at the very least. Uh, so all three of these components, SPF, DKIM, and DMARC together, uh, really make up a good overall control to, to mitigate the risk around spoofing. So excellent tips there. Again, as organizations, uh, you know, potentially due to COVID-19 are, are kind of reviewing their mission controls and ensuring that they have implementations to mitigate those threats in place. Just any other final best practices or tips that uh, you'd leave with the audience today? Yeah, for sure. So there, there's a few key things to, to keep in mind. And these might be more of a, you know, I would say a medium to long-term uh, initiatives. So the first and foremost, and probably the most obvious, is making sure that you have a proven email security gateway solution to protect your users' inboxes, right? You want to make sure that every email that your users receive is scanned, whether it's the attachments that are embedded or the URLs that are embedded within that email are scanned for you know, potential malware or phishing domains and hopefully are blocked before the user receives them, right? Uh, so this is definitely very key. Make sure that you have this in place for all your users that have an inbox and make sure that you have all the advanced features that come with that solution enabled, you know, if you have those appropriate licenses in place as well. 
Second thing, which is also something that I'm sure most organizations hear about all the time is, you know, make sure you have very strong password policies, right? Threat actors are very well aware of the common defaults IT passwords organizations use, like season and year. You know, we've, we've historically seen threat actors carrying out something called, uh, you know, ADFS password spraying attacks, especially for organizations who have shifted their mailboxes to the cloud. Uh, so this is pretty effective attack. So you want to make sure that you're using very complex password policies in place. Uh, another key piece as well would be to uh, you know push out a group policy setting to to your systems if you're using Microsoft Office Suite uh, to block malicious macros in Office documents that are downloaded from the internet. Uh, so Microsoft released a, a great you know capability that you can implement with an Active Directory to push out a group policy uh, to mitigate the risk around malicious macros embedded in Office documents, which is an attack vector we see all the time, especially with phishing emails. Uh, the other piece is making sure that uh, all user traffic traverses through some sort of web proxy or URL filtering solution. Uh, again, if a user clicks on a URL within an email, a phishing email, uh, you need to be able to trace that back and confirm if they actually clicked on that, right? And, and having that solution in place is, is really key. And you also want to make sure that you're blocking any malicious domains that that URL filtering solution detects or even blocking potentially risky sites or uncategorized sites. And then second last uh, is endpoint security solution. So again, uh, you want to make sure you have an endpoint security solution across all your endpoints, uh, up to date. If a user downloads a potentially a malicious attachment from the phishing email, uh, that it can get immediately scanned and hopefully quarantined before the user actually clicks on it is, is really important. And then uh, finally is you know making sure you have logging in place in all these tool sets uh, and all your, uh, your mailboxes, right? Uh, so we're talking about making sure that you have Logging enabled in your URL filtering solution, in your, you know, if you're in Office 365 or G Suite, making sure you have logging enabled there and making sure that you're sending these logs to some sort of central store like a SIM, correlation and proactive monitoring. This is really important having these log sources in place. If an account was to get compromised, you want to be able to go and investigate very quickly and understand what exactly happened and what is the scope of the incident. Okay. And then, of course, uh, that leads me to my last point, which is making sure that your security team is really prepared for dealing with phishing incidents. And this can be done through development and implementation of an incident response playbook that really details out exactly how to tackle phishing incidents. And this can include topics like, you know, how do you investigate a phishing email? How do you investigate safely, investigate a malicious attachment or embedded URLs? How do you identify, you know, all the users that potentially clicked or received that email or clicked on any URLs within those emails? And then, of course, what happened after the user clicked on that link or downloaded the attachment from that phishing email as well? Now, these are all really important to really make sure that uh, organizations are able to mitigate the risk of, of phishing overall. Yeah, that preparation is really key. Uh, John, thanks for that. And I know for listeners that maybe are looking for more resources around this, you recently authored a blog on this topic. Where can people go to, to find more information around this? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the, the blog post is actually on our uh, FireEye blog post uh, page. And the, the topic is called Managing Email Phishing Risks During the Coronavirus Epidemic and Beyond. And uh, it's also available on our Threat Intelligence Portal as well. Excellent. Well, John, thank you for your uh, discussion today. Absolutely. Thank you very much.